Chapter 22 of Our Feathered Friends. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Sue Gill. Our Feathered Friends by Elizabeth and Joseph Grinnell. More about our robin. When the robins were two years old, we noticed that they were picking up straws from the bottom of the cage, and so we took the hint. We looked all about to find something that was the shape of a nest. We were tempted at first to put a little open-work basket in the cage, but we remembered an experience which we had some years before and did not use the basket. The experience was this. We hung a tiny basket in the canary's cage, and the birds made a thin nest in it and hatched their eggs. The male had been very active, helping his mate in all the ways he could think of, and he thought he would mend the nest one day. So he began to peck at the string through the meshes of the basket, reaching up from the bottom. We did not think he was doing any harm, till we noticed what looked like a bird's foot hanging down through the bottom of the basket. What was our astonishment to find that the old bird had pulled off the legs of the young birds, stupidly thinking that he was tugging at the twine. Of course, we did not put a basket in the robin's cage, but we found a round butter mold, which answered just as well. The birds were very much pleased with the butter mold and began carrying straw and mud which we gave to them until they had quite a respectable robin's nest. We do not know whether wild robins would nest in a butter mold if we should fasten it to the crotch of an apple tree or swing it from the branches, but it would be quite worth one's while to try if one is living where there are wild robins. One morning we found a blue egg in the nest. The birds were surprised. They hopped on the rim of the butter mold and looked at the egg and chirped at it. And then the male bird hopped in and sat down on it. We clapped our hands and called to the whole family to come and see. But what do you think that naughty bird did? Just as we were all feeling sure of his good sense, he jumped suddenly out of the nest and then back again. Then he began to scratch with both feet as fast as he could till the egg went out of the nest and lay in fragments on the bottom of the cage. We expected to see his mate resent it, but she took no notice, going on pecking at a peach as if nothing had happened. It was an accident, we said, ready to excuse our pets. The days went by, and seven blue eggs shared the fate of the first one. The birds took turns at scratching them out of the nest, as if it were great fun. We felt badly, of course, and scolded them. But they only stared helplessly at us and did not explain the secret about those eggs. When the robins were three years old, the male began to be sick. He had fits or spasms of some sort, whirling around on the floor upon his back, where he would lie as if dead for a few minutes. Then he would jump up and begin eating, as well as ever. 
These attacks grew less severe, and in a few days the bird got well. His mate had taken excellent care of him, begging him to eat something right in the middle of his fit, and flying about him just like a nervous little woman. When she had nursed him back to life and health, she was taken with the same disease and died in a short time. We asked a doctor what he thought it was, and he said he guessed it was the grip. The little widower did not pine away and die from grief. He was too sensible for that, and life was very pleasant to him. He took to singing with all his might, as he had never sung before. For four hours in the early morning, he never rested his bulging little red throat, not even to eat his breakfast. The old-fashioned robin notes, which he had made believe he never knew before, came bubbling out in a wild glee that made the neighborhood ring. People inquired all around to know where that robin was. He was very fond of spiders, and when we took the broom in our hands, he watched us closely. The large gray house spider was his favorite. We think a good deal of these spiders, and we're very sorry to give them to the robin, but we were afraid he would die if he had none. In whichever room we were, when we found one of these spiders, we had only to call out, Here's a spider, Robbie! And the bird would chirp his answer, hopping to the corner of his cage nearest the door. Here he would wait for us to give him the insect. If we found a bug or a worm, we had but to call out, Quick, Robbie! And he would dart nervously from side to side of his big cage in his eagerness, not to keep us waiting. He would take berries from our mouths, many a time giving our lips a tweak, as if he did it on purpose. Then he would stare at us with his black eye full of fun. A Chinaman with a vegetable cart came to our house three times a week, and Robbie grew to know him and his wagon. He knew the sound of the wagon before it was in sight. He was always afraid of strangers, but this Chinaman he loved and trusted. He would hop to his cage door to meet him and open his bill for the strawberry, which John never forgot in berry season. He was fond of meat of any kind, taking it salted and cooked or raw, but he would never touch bird flesh of any sort, chicken or quail or turkey though we many a time ran to the cage calling, Quick, Robbie! Just to surprise him. He would look disgusted and turn his head away, as if to say, No, thank you. I am not a cannibal. He would not taste of sugar, but was fond of gingerbread and cake. During our long dry season of many months, Robbie had a way of his own to keep cool and moist. His bath was an oblong china vegetable dish, which held water enough to cover him at full length. When the days were warm and dry and Robin somehow missed the rain, which he had never seen in summertime, he would hop into the bath and sit or lie down. The water covered him up to his ears, and there he would sit for an hour at a time, blinking and dozing, as if he were a real water bird. He would take food from our hands, too lazy and contented to stir out of the water. 
When the tourist robins came in winter, we imagined our pet would remember his mate and be anxious to join the birds. But he took no notice, caring not so much for the robins as for the brown towhees who had always kept him company at the back door. Perhaps he thought his house was small, and if all his folk were intending to spend the winter with him, he would be crowded out of house and home. He was not hospitable to them, nor had he rooms to rent. He not even answered them when the tourists chirped him a last goodbye and went away in early April, after they had eaten up all the pepperberries. Well, the longest story has an end. When our robin was in his fifth year, he died, and we buried him beside our little hummingbird under the fig tree. The bees and the orange blossoms all about him sang him a dirge, and a royal mockingbird caroled away with all his might. End of chapter 22